Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie and I'm joined here as always by my regular co-host Azul GG. What's good Azul? How you doing this week, man? I'm I'm doing okay, Chip. Just a little tired. It's getting a little bit worn out from uh i guess the traveling it hasn't been too much yet bro you've been to I'm two tournaments to... <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i'm doing so much more now though in mm-hmm. between the tournaments more content or i'm trying to do more content that's something that i've always kind of slipped up with in the past when the the traveling got more hectic and then a lot of coaching um which i'm actually really been getting into a lot as far as just like something i enjoy doing so i've been really enjoying doing the coaching and trying to get become a better coach uh with all that stuff but i'm doing a lot of that my schedule's basically been full since you know two weeks before or three weeks before indiana so been really just really really busy uh definitely feeling the (laughs) feeling worn down by it all that's why i decided to not go to vancouver regionals next weekend so i'll be in jersey this weekend um you know we get to see everyone again there's going to see some of the the east coast homies who you know didn't quite make it all the way out to indiana so it's going to be another fun time for sure um but yeah definitely definitely tired how about you how you feeling Doing pretty good. Uh, the AC upstairs in our house has not been working oh. the last like a week or so, <laughs> so it's very hot up here. But we're recording late at night, so it's at least a little cooler than it was earlier today. So uh, ho- we're having someone out tomorrow that hopefully it's going to get taken care of and fixed. I think we are going to get scheduled to get a new AC unit put in, which is a little expensive, but the system that's in here is as old as the house so it's uh it's about time so always just uh, unfortunate when those big expenses come up but it's kind of just something that you expect is going to happen at some point you got to be ready for it and so hopefully by the end of this week before i head out of town to new jersey that'll get taken care of uh and speaking of which yeah we've got a lot to talk about this week one of the things being New Jersey, Lil, and Perth regionals. But before we talk about that, we're going to be mentioning the NAIC registration, which was just announced. It is going to be going live today, the day that you are listening to this podcast, if assuming you are listening to it the day that it comes out. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Of course, the three upcoming regionals this weekend. We will have Guess That Flavor text once again. And a reminder... Now the flavor text segment does include lifelines to potentially help bail us out of sticky situations, hopefully get us some more answers. And then we're going to be taking some viewer questions from Twitter. We're going to have those sprinkled throughout the regional championship section as well. But there's a lot of good questions, you know, relating to specific questions about decks all the way up to more broad questions about just regionals in general. So we'll talk about a lot of those different things. If you're not following the podcast over on Twitter, it is at uncommon underscore energy. And before these regionals, we like to throw out a, you know, just a little Q&A, just ask people what are some of the things they're wanting to know. And we try to get to them on the podcast when we can. Yeah, so make, definitely go make sure you follow the Twitter and, and uh Let's know your questions next time we do one of the Q&As. But yeah, first, talking about NAIC registration, uh, early announcement. They're doing it in three waves at three different times. Of course, that makes sense because NAIC is not only the biggest North American tournament, it's the biggest, it's the, besides world, it's the most international tournament, I feel like, of, uh, of the, of the, of the year besides worlds like the most people travel yes. to naic from out of north america so three different i feel like it was a little bit still feels a little bit uh east coast friendly it's like 12 p.m 4 p.m and 8 p.m is when the waves will be happening over at rk9 labs um and then i don't think we'll it'll be like a, a huge 
you know, hit the cap really fast situation. I feel like there's going to be a ton of room. It's, it's, it's in uh, Columbus again. That's a pretty big it's huge. space. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it's a big space. I don't think we've ever hit the capacity at Columbus. I think we hit it at Indianapolis one year for NAIC at like 1,600 mm-hmm. uh, players or masters. I forget. Um, but yeah, they announced it way ahead of time or a decent amount ahead of time. They announced it today and it's happening tomorrow. I guess that's like reasonable, right? <laughs> yeah, but, I, I mean, wouldn't call that way ahead of time for sure. But it, I yeah, mean, I guess they didn't just drop it on us. So yeah. there was at least a little bit of an announcement. It was announced over on the at play Pokemon Twitter. Definitely an account you want to be following to stay up to date with any announcements and stuff. Things that are going on in the competitive Pokemon world. And I'm definitely going to be interested to see with these three waves how many spots are available for this tournament. I would say that... The event hall in Columbus is bigger than the hall was in Indianapolis. I mean, it's just a massive space, assuming they're using the same one they've used in years past. So I hope that it's going to be a similar situation to Indianapolis where there's plenty of spots. You know, Indianapolis didn't actually end up capping for TCG Masters. I don't know what the case was for all the other games. But something else to consider for these international championships, uh, I do believe that all four games will be present. I know TCG and VGC will be there. I'm pretty sure Pokemon Go will be there, and I'm pretty sure that Pokemon Tournament will be there as well. So we got four different games competing for not only event space, but also for space for the people, right, for the, for the players. Yeah. Um, you know, and these events are always... Uh, I feel like there's a lot more, you know, juniors and seniors who are going to be at these big tournaments and they always have plus ones with the spectator badge for parents to come along. So all of these things get factored into caps and things like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if this does hit a cap really quickly, if they've like reserved some space maybe, or it could just be all of the space that is going to be made available goes live in wave three. And it's like after wave three sells out, that's it. We're done. Who knows? I mean, I'd imagine that's how it goes, and they just kind of break it up so, like, you know, people have time to, you know, not be at work or not be asleep. Um, it's Like I said, it does feel still kind of cluttered, clustered together, like 12 p.m. EST, 4 p.m. EST, uh, 8 p.m. EST. I feel like you could have started at, like, 10 a.m. EST, yeah. uh, 4 p.m., and then 10 p.m. or something, you know, spread it out a little bit more. Because, um, like I said, it is, like, a very much... Uh, and intern, it feels you know the clo- it's the closest thing we have to worlds as far as international events go. The most people who are going to travel to an international event outside of worlds is going to be NAIC. So I feel like maybe could have split it up a little bit more, but I'm sure everyone will be able to make it work to be available at one of those times. Yeah, I assume they'll just kind of like let the floodgates open at uh, at 8 p.m. I'm sure there's caps for 12 and four. There's probably only so many slots. Like if yeah, I wonder a if it's like spots, 33 percent of capacity yeah. at each of the spots, maybe. I feel like the early time slots, they'd maybe do less and that. Maybe it's like, uh, like, I don't know, 30, 30, 40 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe. But I, I don't think it'll cap. I, I would hope not. Um, I would hope it doesn't cap, but it doesn't seem like it would. the one time we did have an AIC cap. Like I said before, I don't even know which one it was. It was a while ago, but like it was like we were like two or three weeks in. And the only people who didn't get to go were people who just like, uh, you know, didn't register within the within like a reasonable amount of time, you know, we were like two weeks into registration being open. And then I was like, Oh wait, and registration capped. And I was like, wait, what? Um, so, you know, if you didn't register within two weeks and now we're doing like, you know, you have to register within 24 hours or, you know, 24 seconds. It does feel like that sometimes 24 seconds. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, um, but I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. It should be. It should be. It looks like they're handling. They're handling it better. They announced it on the Play Pokemon Twitter. Have they been announcing any of the regional registrations over on the Play Pokemon Twitter? Or is it just not been on the NAIC Play Pokemon now? Twitter? The regional registrations have all been announced by RK9, which is also an account you should follow at RK9 Labs on Twitter because they handle the registration for all the Pokemon events, the regional special events internationals all that stuff so they tweet out all the stuff as well uh but yeah i think it's just been for international so far that pokemon has been handling the the tweeting the announcements all that stuff it seems like okay well yeah, at least they're announcing the, the internationals over there yeah and it's i think that's partially just because like the regionals all are all organized by different tournament organizers yeah um, like indianapolis was organized by round three events right uh whereas NAIC and EUIC, the international championships, and then eventually Worlds, and then, you know, past that, the other internationals, assuming they all happen, same as normal next season, uh, those are all held by Pokemon. Like, Pokemon is the tournament organizer for those major tournaments, so it makes sense that they are the ones tweeting, I guess, for those big-time tournaments. Yeah, and I'm not saying, like, that the regionals organizers aren't trying, but if you're not, like, in a Facebook group, um, it feels like it's really hard to get the info about regional registration it's either you follow rk9 labs on twitter or you're in one of the big like pokemon tcg facebook groups or, or vgc whatever otherwise you're just not going to hear about registration no one's following round three events on twitter right like i didn't even know they had a twitter <laughs> until <laughs> i think you said it right now i can't think of a time when i've known they had Twitter, right so it's like i mean follow rk9 go follow rk9 because i think they're always retweeting when any any because it's all all the registration goes through you yeah. know, rk9 labs so all of uh, or rk9.gg is the site now um, and I, I guess another thing with rk9.gg and i should just like maybe add them on twitter um but like there's there's they have they have like a a page for events but you can't get to it by being on the main page of rk9 like i tried to find it and i just could not find it to uh what's up to in the top the main left you page. click on tournaments no i thought they had like a different page that i was like looking for and maybe maybe i'm just maybe i'm maybe i'm just kind of <laughs> you j- click the little drop down menu tournaments and then you can click on regional tournaments or team challenge tournaments oh no you're right there it is i don't know what i was looking for the other day and i couldn't find it no it's like all right you're right um, there it is <laughs> it felt hard to find but yeah, yeah go follow i guess i mean i follow i play pokemon follow rk9 but i feel like besides those two it's really hard like if you're not like i said in a facebook group one of those old school pokemon facebook groups you're just not going to know when registration is going to be happening. Like there's no central Pokemon TCG hub that you should just be able to like, there should be announcements on like, you know, if you go to Pokemon.com, you click on the trading card game part, there should be like an announcement there. And then po- play Pokemon should always be announcing when registrations are live. Um, so just have, have it be a little bit more centralized, but at least, I mean, now that if for anyone listening to this, just go follow RK nine on, on Twitter at the very least. Cause they'll always be tweeting about when any registration stuff is happening. So yeah, I, uh, was talking to some of the Pokemon go casters. I think it was, it may, it might not have even been the go casters. It might've just been someone at Indy playing go who was talking about how, uh, when they logged into Pokemon go, there was a big thing on the front page that said this weekend, Indianapolis regional championships. Uh, and it was like either, I, I don't remember if it was like register for the tournament or just a link to the stream. I was like, man, it'd be really cool if there were other Pokemon <laughs> games that could implement something like this. <laughs> like, I don't even think the video game has anything like that. Uh, so, I mean, that's great for Pokemon go, you know, they're still new to the competitive scene, the, the play Pokemon scene, but I really wish that, you know, people could log into PTCGO and see like register for upcoming Pokemon events or yeah. watch this weekend, any of those type of things just, 
because there there's such a wide player base for PTCGO even that I think most people don't even realize. <laughs> like there's a huge like casual PTCGO base that doesn't know who you are, doesn't know who I am, doesn't know that competitive Pokemon is even really that much of a thing. You know, they just play Pokemon on their iPad because they know what Pokemon is, right? Yeah, it seems like a super missed opportunity. And then, like, I don't know. So they, I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that PDCGO has kind of dropped the ball on or the way they've tried to use it as a product or whatever. But hopefully with PDCG Live, wherever right, that is right listen, now, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I have not logged on. I've not seen anything about it. Does anyone play PDCG Live anymore? Um, yeah, I haven't logged on in months. Or it's been a, it's been at least a month. Um, no, it's probably been two. Um, it's been a but, yeah, it's been a minute. I haven't heard anything about it. I don't know if they're making changes with it, but hopefully if everything gets fixed and solved, that's something they add to, you know, to PTCG Lives, a little little banner or something on the the homepage that says watch the, when the when the streams are happening, you know, be like, "Yo, streams are happening." If they had it in client, that would be sick, but just linking them over to Twitch is fine. Um link them over to the Twitch channels where they can, you know, watch the action live and then, you know, when tournaments are coming up, you know, have their real you know, a little banner thing, you know. Just when tournaments are coming up, just be like Pokemon Regional Championships coming up this coming up. Go register or play in them, whatever. Yep. Just take them to a tournament landing page or whatever, and people can see what tournaments are coming up and see if there's any near them that they would want to want to play in. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I think part of the reason for that right now, at least, is that they don't have the capacity to handle that many more people trying to register for these events. Like they're already capping super quickly. But, yeah. you know, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, so we don't have to dive super deep into it. But the gist of it is, like, you know, if there's a demand for it, we should try to make space for it to happen. Because it feels like the competitive Pokemon TCG, even though, like, our numbers are, like, pretty decent compared to what they have been, it's always just compared to other games in our space, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Magic!, flesh and blood whatever else there is out there we just kind of pale in comparison to their viewership and yeah. you know their even their player base which is ridiculous since our game as a whole is so much more popular when you look at like just sales and stuff like that you know so many more people buy pokemon cards than buy Yu-Gi-Oh and magic cards but it's like a fraction of those play people actually play the game compared to the other two yeah, and I mean, I don't think I don't really expect anything from PTCG Live right now. They have enough other stuff to worry about. But hopefully, when things get sorted out over there, that's something that yeah. is definitely added and implemented. Is is you know just some in game. I remember when they first did it way back in StarCraft. It was like StarCraft was when it was a big esport. Mm -hmm. I used to watch competitive StarCraft all the time. And when they added like the little little banner in the client that said, "Yo, there's a tournament going on this weekend," or Blizzard BlizzCon was happening, and there was the competitive StarCraft players playing. You could click out of it, and it would take you to the to the what's it called? And um, they did that with League of Legends too at some point. But yeah, hopefully they they do that um but yeah it's a, a little ways off next season next season kind of thing for sure maybe for worlds maybe for worlds that'd be like if they had one a little banner if they get live sorted out by worlds which who knows maybe so that when the when the streams are live be like yo the pokemon tcg world championships are going on watch live now or something you know but uh we can be hopeful we can definitely be hopeful and that's you know that's what we have been that's i guess what we'll continue <laughs> to be <laughs> is hopeful but Moving on to the regional championships this weekend, and I guess speaking of the streams as well, New Jersey, Lil, and Perth regionals are all happening this weekend, and the New Jersey regionals will be streamed. I will be out there as one of the commentators for the event, so big thanks to Pokemon as always for bringing me out. I love getting to cast these events. It's my favorite thing I do right now, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I love getting to do that. 
And you will be going as a player as well, I know, Azul. Are you looking forward to it? Do yep. you feel prepared for the tournament? I know you've been playing a lot of Pokemon as far as coaching and, you know, streaming and content is concerned, but do you feel like you've been getting, you know, real testing in for this tournament, or are you kind of going off the backs of what you've done from your coaching and stuff like that? Uh, I mean, not like a whole ton of, like, new tests. You know, I'll probably just end up playing Mew again. Um I think I definitely didn't give myself the best shot possible the last couple of regionals. I definitely think I should have day two'd. I mean, I should have day two'd Indianapolis if I just, like, you know, played a little sharper. So just going to clean up my play, worry about that. Um, and the, I'm not, like, concerned with trying to solve this format. I'm not trying to come up with the next Urshifu dark box deck. I'm going to let, if anyone else wants to do that and come up with something, that's great. But it's not something I'm, like, feeling uh, pressured or wanting to even try and do, to be honest. I'm, I'm looking ahead to definitely towards the next format and trying to be <clears throat> be that person for the next format. But for the current current format, it's been going on so long. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. And um, yeah, look towards maybe Milwaukee and NAIC to be the, the person who breaks the format for sure. But yeah, you, you probably for uh, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like this format has been pretty fleshed out. We've now had eight major tournaments in this format, including regionals, internationals, and special events. Yep. This weekend of tournaments will be event number 9, 10, and 11. Of course, New Jersey regionals in the U.S., Lille regionals in France, and Perth regionals happening in Australia. So with so many tournaments happening in such a short span, all in the same format, I think it's just kind of natural that players start to feel kind of tired of the format. And I feel like that's really where a lot of people are. The meta has still continued to evolve, which I think is really cool. It does feel like maybe less stale than formats of the past that, you know, kind of had this long drawn out process of how many tournaments there were in the format so that is definitely a plus but it does still feel maybe at least a little bit like you're kind of beating your head against the wall i don't know can you relate to that <laughs> a little bit when it comes to figuring out what you want to play yeah but i don't think a whole ton has changed i think like people are taking and i think i mean i almost feel like a good example of this is like uh the the deck that um uh kruger played kevin kruger played to indiana with like the the <clears throat> the corvanite v max and all that mm -hmm. stuff and it's not like that deck is some new groundbreaking uh deck or anything and i think i don't think kevin thinks it is either but it's like the format is so you just know what you're playing against so you can like you know play a deck like that what's a little bit more a little bit different of a kind of like arceus build with different options because you know what you're going to play against so you all you know all your options will be consistently good in your nine rounds or for the most part like you're going to play against Mew VMAX and you're going to play against Arceus and that's about it. And then as long as you don't lose to all the Urshifus and all the Whimsicots and all that stuff, that makes up, you know, maybe 20% of the meta total. Cause I feel like Arceus, I haven't seen the, we haven't seen the numbers yet from Indianapolis. I don't think yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if Arceus decks are like 50% of the meta. Oh yeah. Right now. I agree. Like maybe more like, and it's not like they're all the same build, but so many Arceus variants play out very similarly into how they gain an advantage or lose the advantage in the early game it kind of feels very similar a lot of the time <laughs> in how your games play against them or how the architects stack up against each other even when some have the the maltrace or the bees or the this or the that they kind of stack up their early games stack up so similarly and where the advantage is initially gained that what your extra you know tech cards in there don't make a huge a huge difference to be honest i mean i think we saw ian kind of push the the boundaries a little bit at indianapolis for sure but even then i don't think like ian's deck is like 
leaps and bounds ahead of all the other Arceus decks. It's just like an Arceus deck with different options, right? Like some have Charon's Care, Eons does not have Charon's Care, but it has more ways to take one-hit KOs or create awkward situations with like the Yoga Loop and stuff. So it's not like it's yeah leaps and bounds ahead of uh, ahead of everything else. And I'm. <clears throat> I think it was a pretty close matchup between, or the matchup against uh, Isaiah was a, a pretty close matchup, but uh, Isaiah did not draw well and like so well in two of the games. So you know, when you want know, ends Ian's way that that time, but it's not like the two Arceus variants were that much different. You know what I'm saying? So it does kind of feel like you can almost kind of play whatever you want with Arceus, um, or play Mew, or play or play like you know Urshifu or Whimsicott, and then <laughs> there's not. It's it's really hard, I think, because Arceus is just so good and it's so hard to beat all the variants at once in a dominant fashion. It's like almost hard to you just can't really tech against Arceus because like Dunsparce makes it impossible to gain that initial fighting weakness edge in the early turns and then force them to fall back on their their backup attacker. I think Dunsparce is really what keeps Arceus so hard to counter. Yeah, right, because that it takes away the main drawback of the card. And really the only drawback that the card has is fighting weakness, which has pretty much yeah. never been a good thing to have in the Pokemon TCG. I think you mentioned <laughs> that last week when we were talking about some of the new cards. Like, they're, fighting Pokemon are always going to be around, and they're always going to be pretty decent, it feels yeah. like. So having just a one-card inclusion that eliminates that completely sure there are answers to it you know people have played things like the bird keeper rowlet you know the the yoga loop right it's a it's easy yoga loop target but if you're playing manaphy you can play around some of those things if you put a big charm on your dunsparce it can't get yoga looped as easily so yep lots of things that players can do to counteract that it's just a basic pokemon that takes away the main drawback of your card but I think that it's a lot different than something else more recently, like Jirachi GX, which was a big part of the Mewtwo deck. Uh, I know a deck that you played a ton of, won a regional championships with. So yeah. it, it, there's a big difference there. Uh, I think players would you know, immediately make that comparison since the abilities are super similar. Uh, Jirachi GX was a two-prize Pokemon, so it had a much bigger drawback. You had to really think about putting it in play, and when you put it in play, like making sure it was the right time to do it because it was a pretty easy two prizes for your opponent to take at some point. Yeah, and in, like, in that comparison, like Mewtwo had so many more weaknesses than, right. just... than just its weakness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the energies required to get on. Like it wasn't easy to get the energy you needed on the Mewtwo, and then it's it's a so super ability ability reliant on its ability that you know do you take away some of the other parts of it that a lot of decks tried to do, um, you can fall apart <clears throat> in those ways as well. And yeah, it's just a ninety HP on the charge. Yeah, it's definitely a different different story for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah, I'm really excited for the next set. I think we got some big heavy hitters. Uh, that can, that don't need Arceus to exist and can compete, which is kind of the raw power of Arceus with the, like the Palkia and the Samurai. So I'm excited to see how those cards uh, play out specifically. But um, we're a little ways away, a couple weeks, but uh, we're getting there soon. We're getting there soon. Yeah, and I think that was just kind of naturally how it was going to be with the V-Star mechanic, right? Anytime they introduce a new mechanic to the game, it feels like that first set, the cards are like usually pretty good, right? Like... Uh, the V Star, Arceus V Star, you know, tag teams, Pikachu, Zekrom, right? The first tag team uh, to be in the, you know, to be really good. And it was good through its entirety uh, of existence in standard, Pikachu and Zekrom, right? And I even, guess it was like at the, the very beginning, it was not played at all, right? Before we got Coco, I think, was it? Yes, like, it wasn't quite as good at the beginning, yes. Yeah. But yeah, once it, once Coco Prism came out, um, I think it was like one set after. Or uh, maybe it was Electro Power was a set after or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. 
Uh, but it definitely got a lot better as uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as time went on. And I think that we'll just kind of see as more Pokemon V-Star come out, Arceus will still be good, but maybe fall back a little bit. Palkia can obviously stand up on its own. Hisuian Samurott, even looking to the future, things like Hisuian Zoark uh, V-Star. You know, I think Lilligant is actually okay, maybe not as... Uh, good as the other ones but i think it is a lot better the more i've watched some people playing it and stuff i think it is better than maybe even we gave it credit for initially so mm -hmm. there's just a lot of you know uh, as more cards come out it will feel less like an arceus dominated field just because the card pool will expand and that's just kind of how it works right yeah, and I do hope that Arceus doesn't become irrelevant when the next set drops. I think that's a bad sign if, if we're just kind of in the good cards are just rotating out every time a new set drops, which is bad because then we're just like literally, you know, it just means like the next set, those are the best cards. You just have to play those. You can't, it's like, it means there's not as much depth to the meta where you can go back and bring these older cards to life, which we did see a little bit with this with this set when we got, I mean, everyone knew Mew was going to be a top deck, but our, with Urshifu kind of making a comeback. Uh, and then Whimsicott popped up eventually, but it was also a new card from the new set, right? So... Um, we want to see the Whimsicott's and the Arceus's. Maybe Whimsicott not be, it won't probably be constantly good, but Urshi or Arceus, I think, I'm hoping, stays around as a top deck of some sort. Uh, hopefully, and hopefully it's just not just a supplement, other cards, but kind of, you know, it's owned Arceus X, which is what we really have right now. It's not even Arceus supporting Pokemon, which is what I, th I think a lot of people thought was going to happen a little bit more with Arceus. It really mm -hmm. is. You have your Arceus, and then you have your Moltres package, your B drills. There's like, everything is supporting the Arceus. Nothing, Arceus isn't supporting anything besides like Arceus Duraludon, of course. Arceus but. is the star of the show for sure. Yeah, in, in pretty much all uh, Arceus decks. So, moving on though, at, we're going to be talking mostly about New Jersey. Obviously, I think that the meta implications will apply to Lil and Perth regionals as well. But Azul is playing in New Jersey. I'm going to be commentating New Jersey. So that is really where the majority of our focus is going to be and what we're going to be mostly talking about. But I don't think that means that the information that we talk about for New Jersey is irrelevant for the other events. I think it's definitely very relevant and can be almost directly applied. Um, I guess just before we get into the decks, the meta specifically, talking about just tournament numbers in general, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, how do you prepare differently for a 600 player regionals versus a thousand player regionals? Um, I think the case this weekend is going to be more like New Jersey will probably be around 500 ish. TCG Masters, just because of caps, it probably would have been much bigger, but it'll probably be around 500 ish because of the caps. Uh, I would imagine Lil Regionals will be around 300-ish, you know, 250 to 350, somewhere in there. And Perth Regionals, the last Perth Regionals was actually like 60 Masters, and Henry Brand won it. So it's been a couple of years since that Regionals, obviously. So who knows what the player base is looking like right now. Will it be around that 50-60 mark? Will we see it break 100? Perth is definitely a lot more isolated in Australia compared to where the majority of the population is over on the west side, or sorry, the east side of the country. So, um, yeah, do you feel like there's really any difference in how you prepare for tournaments based on the sizing like that, how you metagame and things like that? I mean, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we talked about it a little bit Um not last episode, but the episode There's that we a few did. Episodes, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's really a, a difference. Like I, I predicted 
um, you know, when talking with the people I was testing with going into Indianapolis, I was like, it's going to be a lot of Mew, it's going to be a lot of Arceus. And then the deck to beat, I think, on the day to make sure you you have a decent matchup against, I think, was Whimsicott. And then I played against one Whimsicott. I think they all played against two plus Whimsicott. So my prediction was correct. Yeah, I was like, we're going to play against one to two Whimsicott day one. We all did. Um, so, yeah, I think that was like, I mean, that was it. It was like a lot of Arceus. Arceus with Baby Maltrex was going to be the most popular. It was. Uh, and then there was going to be other... Uh, other Arceus variants, you know, what they have, who knows. Uh, and then obviously Mew was going to be very popular, but nothing was going to be super special in any of the Mew lists. Of course, we did see the the catcher build make it a resurgence with a couple top eights in Indianapolis from the Canadian players. Um, and then I was like, um, yeah, you're going to, Whimsicott was going to be like the deck to make that I personally was like, I want to make sure I have a fine matchup against. I don't want to have an auto loss to Whimsicott is basically was uh, my thought going into the uh the week but i feel like you know no matter the women's card doesn't actually really auto win anything it's just kind of favorable depending on how you build your list you know more basic energy in arceus or the beedrill is really good against Whimsicott. and then you know we i played the basic psychic in a training court in the mew list to give myself like a, to give us a slight edge against um against Whimsicott. kind of worked out so um but yeah there's it did i don't think, it changed. I think if that was a the thousand person tournament that indianapolis was or if it was a 600 person tournament my prediction still would have been this my prediction would have been the same and i think it would have been the exact same it would have also you know been the exact same result as well like i don't think anything really changes too much from the size of the yeah. tournaments maybe it'll be a different if like perth really is 50 60 people i mean i think people are going to be gunning for like henry and natalie and them, yeah so. that's what i was gonna say um, i think like the difference between 300 600 a thousand isn't really that big but if you're talking about something that's that small and concentrated yeah. uh i think figuring out which good players are the ones that are going to be there and kind of knowing their tendencies of what types of decks they like to play you can kind of make a prediction of what you feel like they'll stick with so I feel like metagaming for that might be a little bit different just because it is so much more concentrated. We're effectively talking about a large league cup if it is around that 50-60 player mark. I don't know what the registration numbers are, but I would imagine, you know, based on... It looks like the last couple Perth regionals were around that number. So uh, if history holds true, it would probably be something similar. Yeah, and I don't even think their their most recent regional in Brisbane. I think it was about the same number as well. So it, it was like two hundred. Like it, it was it was like it was like one eighty. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I think like it was like two hundred. This time it was like one ninety. Oh, last previously, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. The previous. I, I the, so I don't. Saying, yeah. So it seems like there might not have been there might not be that much growth in terms of overall player count so we could see perth you know maybe it goes from 60 to 70 right or we could see it could see could see quite a bit bigger maybe a lot of people are you know trying to get because there the points needed to get an invite over there is is quite a bit less than it is in north america so you know people could be you know especially all the people i think because it's, it's like three is it 250 350 i think um, um i know it's I, less so anyone who is sitting at like 200 points you know a top eight and they're like they're looking pretty good for their invite all of a sudden in one of these regionals because the top eight is what 100 points i don't even know <laughs> I think it's 100 points. <laughs> yeah, so first place is 200. Second place, I believe, is 130. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think I think top eight is like 80 or something like that. Maybe it's 100, I want to say. I don't know. So to yeah. qualify for Worlds in Masters, in the U.S., it's 500. In Europe, it is 350. Latin America, Oceania, and the Middle East and South Africa are all 250. Okay, so yeah, this is like that. We could definitely, I could definitely see more people, you know, you know, players who would have probably been able to get it with a couple League Cup wins. Now we're going to be like, well, I'm kind of at 150 points. If I top eight, you know, go to Perth and top eight or whatever, 
um, top four, or whatever. I got my invite, so I, I could see more people trying to make the make the trek, right? Because there's not those mm-hmm. cups and challenges to kind of pick up. And they only have what three regionals over there. I think there's one more for them, I think right? It's Maybe it's yeah, yeah. So they don't have a whole ton of opportunities. So I could see it getting up to some bigger numbers, maybe 100, 120. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I have no idea what it's like to to get to Perth. It doesn't sound like it's a very easy place to get to or convenient place to get to. But I, I don't know how long it is to drive there. Like, how long does it take to drive from one so, side of Australia to the other? Yeah, I was. I, you can't. I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't like if you're driving through the middle roads. of Australia, it's just like desert and like hills and <laughs> like there. There's not really a road Angaroos. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I was talking to Brent Tonneson, I think, at EUIC, and you, he was talking about Perth regionals a little bit and i think one of the things he was saying is like or like the comparison you know for my dumb american brain it was like going from <laughs> melbourne to perth is like the same as going from new york to la right so it's okay not you, you don't you're not really gonna make that drive right yeah just literal opposite ends of the country and australia is a lot bigger land size than i think a lot of people really think of uh, you know, uh, I guess us Americans, but <laughs> anyway, uh, but to get back to the so regionals, we talked about points numbers just to clear it up uh, and get the exact numbers out there. First place is 200 championship points. Second place, 160 top four, oh. 130 top eight, 100. And yeah. then at a kicker of 48 top 16 also gets 80 points at a kicker of 100 top 32 gets 60 points. So we could definitely I think it'll definitely hit the 48 kicker and there's yeah. a chance that it gets to the 100 as well i mean there's just some yeah 48 if they get around there's like 50 people 16 of them are walking away with 80 points if you are close to your invite um i mean you know, pick up a top 16 here pick up a top 16 and wherever the other one i don't know where their third regional is at i don't know where that one i think is, it's, but it's in melbourne once again melbourne melbourne you pick up some points there i mean you have your invite i have no idea what people's points are looking like but yeah i think these we could definitely i definitely would make sense for more people to try and make the make the trek out to perth i have no idea how much how expensive flights are over there um I know it's like cheap to fly within Europe. In America, it varies. I don't know what it's like in Australia. Yeah, I don't go know. from coast to coast. Well, before um, we embarrass ourselves uh, to our Australian listeners any further, <laughs> let's start talking about some Pokemon decks stuff that hopefully we do at least know a bit more about. Um, so, like we mentioned, Arceus. In the last episode, we kind of talked about how Arceus is just taking over the format. It feels like there's so many different variants. It is definitely the card of the format. The meta like defining card of the format the thing that everyone is kind of centralized how they build decks and how they you know try to counter other Arceus decks or whatever throughout the format it is all about Arceus V-Star and there's so many different variants as well we saw Ian Robb win with the Arceus anti-meta you know counter deck with all the you know the Galarian birds the two prize birds the one prize birds the Hoopa the Metacham he had everything in there we saw Isaiah Bradner take second place with Arceus Intellian Beedrill we've seen plenty of Arceus dark decks pop up Arceus Intellian dark Arceus Beedrill dark Arceus Lucario won the special or sorry the regionals in uh Joinville in Joinville yep and also there's, you know, other Arceus decks that have popped up as well. Which ones going into this tournament, if you're like, okay, going into this tournament, if you know I want to play an Arceus deck, which one is the one to go with? And what are the upsides and downsides of each of them? So, like, let's just start Arceus, Intellian, Dark. Upsides of it and downsides of it. I think, like, looking at Ian Robb's list a little bit more specifically, upsides... You have answers for everything, 
downsides is because you have so many answers, I think you're going to be a little bit less consistent and it's also probably a lot harder to play. Yeah, but I feel, I mean, I feel like that, I mean, yeah, harder to play. So if you have it locked down, I don't think it should matter. Like Ian got back-to-back top eights at regionals. Right, yes. Like Ian, did, Ian didn't even go to EUIC. So it's not like Ian went to UIC, bombed to UIC, then came back and won. Like literally Ian's been to two regionals this year and has top eighted both of them with not the exact same list, but basically the same style of Arceus deck, right? So it shows the deck is consistent enough to do it. Also, Ian, one of the best players in the game. I mean, you maybe have to be on his level to to do it but if you are or if you just put enough time in with the deck i mean you can kind of do it for sure um the downsides so the inconsistency downsides I, I think it is one of those decks that is very much a best two out of three deck like you're content conceding game game two after you win game one on like turn two and be like nope this ain't it i probably too many things or just drew too slow let's just go to game three let's get out of the way i think it very much is a, a best two out of three deck like you're content concede you're losing you're content losing a match literally every single round um and that's one of the things you have to know about the deck is just when to give it up um, and just be like, I have a better shot in the next one and just go to the next game, right? Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they all, I mean, besides that, they all have their, like, it, it, that's what I say, was like saying earlier, it feels like they do have something different about each of them, all the Arceus decks, but it's like, the advantages are like slim in the mirror match. Like the Beedrill deck, obviously, I feel like the Beedrill has one of the strongest Mew matchups uh, overall um, because you don't have to rely on, you know, your opponent not drawing super well and just making it awkward for when you finally get to your baby Moltres turn. Um, of course, if you play the Maltrace V, uh, like Ian, you have more opportunities earlier on to start being aggressive. Whereas like the B, the B is very consistent about just immediately answering anything your opponent throws at you. So the B's got that going for it. And I, don't, I feel the B is definitely my favorite. So if I'm going to, if I just randomly decide to roll up with an Arceus deck, I think I'll probably play the B. It's a ton of fun. Played it in a couple tournaments, uh, or a tournament this week, went undefeated in that, uh, with the Arceus B. So that was fun. The deck's fun. And you don't, I mean, it's an Arceus deck. So as long as you have Arceus and something decent with it, it feels like you just don't have bad matchups. Yeah, something I've liked about the Beedrill deck is that it has like just such a high burst potential where just out of nowhere you have, like you start your turn with nothing and you end your turn by knocking out a Mew Max, right? Yeah. Like, like no other Arceus deck can do that. It feels like, um, I guess that's actually not, fair to say because you have Moltres V, Moltres v. And, yeah regular Moltres we're giving but, up two yes two prize cards yes <clears throat> there, that is the difference there um so yeah Arceus and Tellium Beedrill definitely a lot of fun obviously Isaiah Bradner got second place with the deck um and a lot of I think everyone in their group who played it made day two so maybe yeah. that's a, a good deck to choose if you're just like I gotta make day two I want to get my points something like that want to get my last 50 for my world's invite Arceus and Tellium Beedrill not a bad choice yeah, I, I will say that about about the beach. It's definitely less. You have like less room for error in the early game, as far as just like if you draw poorly, it's gonna hit a lot harder because you don't have like the baby Maltrace to kind of fall back on to like just be like, oh, I'm gonna struggle to get all my prize cards. But at the end of the game, I'm gonna go baby Maltrace, baby Maltrace, and you can't do anything about it. I'm gonna draw my last four prize cards that way. So that is one thing about the B deck. If you make a mistake early or slip up in terms of just general consistency, it definitely comes back to bite you a little bit more than I feel like some of the other Arceus builds. Um, speaking of other ones like the B-Barrel build, of course, that has been seen more play, and it did win. The Arceus, Lucario, B-Barrel, Chrome VMAX <laughs> build did win Joinville Regionals. Yep. Um, and I think that the advantage of the B-Barrel build is your turn one, turn two are a lot more stable and consistent, I feel like. You have the option of the Crobat, and you, you're playing like the four GTE count. So even when you go second, you can get off that, you know, the, the Trinity charge. So it just feels like your early turns with the B-Barrel build. I'm just like, 
just more solid. Um, whereas the Inteleon build, you're sometimes like, I don't know if they got the boss KO here. I'm, it's not looking good, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like when you're playing Inteleon, it's like a scramble to get Sobbles in play early game. Yeah. <laughs> you you have to worry about that a lot less with the Arceus Bibrio because you ha generally that version of the deck is going to play more supporters anyway, more like traditional draw supporters. And then, yeah. you know, you just got to get your one little Bidoof down. And if yeah. they boss KO your Bidoof, <laughs> that means your energy, your, your Arceus got to keep its energy. So you're, you're yeah. chilling, right? So how do you feel about the Lucario? If you wanted to pair a fighting attacker with Arceus, is Lucario the way to go? Or would we maybe look at Galarian Zapdos and the fighting energy like what Ian had? I, I I was actually surprised they were able to make the Lucario work so well. It is kind of just like a solid attacker. Yeah, it's you know, good. It does it's two good. KO. But when you're two hit KO trading and you don't play Charon's Care like Pedro did, that's not that's not that's kind of scary. Now there was the choice belt plus the goon ping combo. So if you get triple basic energy on the Lucario, you can one hit KO Arceus at the 280 mark, but that's only if they don't have a big charm. Uh, and of course, I'm talking in terms of if they have Dunsparce in right. play, which everyone plays Dunsparce. And not only that, not everyone Ian. has a way to... Not Ian. But yeah, but Ian's trying to trade back and forth aggressively. So yes. like Ian's like... It takes a little bit of a different a different strat there. Uh, but I wouldn't even be surprised to see people start to add the Dunsparce in Ian's list for like almost like the mirror match. Like they know more people are going to show up with Zapdos. So now you get the edge up against everyone bringing Zapdos or stuff like the Lucario. And you just have your Dunsparce to make sure you're not losing kind of that prize race um and the, up against other other lists of arcus that are trying to more prize race than you know uh resource war them with the charon's care so i think that'd be like a good probably a good ad going into this week uh would be the the dunsparce into the arceus just for the other arceus decks and i'm sure urshifu is gonna be still around so you know it can't hurt to have another card against ursh but i guess you have to pick your cards because like ian ran the hoop of in the a mana fee so um, yeah, I'm surprised that the Lucario worked so well for them because I think everyone was basically playing Dunsparce last weekend in Indianapolis, yes. right? Like, I feel like everyone was playing the, or two weekends ago now, everyone was playing the Dunsparce. Um, and I think it'll be even more prevalent going into this weekend. If anyone who wasn't playing Dunsparce for whatever reason yeah. should definitely have Dunsparce. I, I, I bet if we had the stats of like decks with Arceus, how many of them played Dunsparce in Indianapolis, it was like 99%. And Ian was the 1%, be. right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, who knows um, where it'll end up. I, I mean, I definitely still think Dunsparce is good in Arceus. And speaking of Tex and Arceus, do we feel like people should still be playing Manaphy? Obviously, Urshifu didn't do the best comparatively to how it did at EUIC. You know, Tord still got second place with the deck in, yeah. um, in Bilbo, but it didn't have the dominant effect across three events that it did at EUIC just the weekend or two previous. So Manaphy still worth the spot or are you less worried about Urshifu this weekend? Uh, so I think Urshifu will probably be about the same percentage of the field as Indianapolis. I didn't do great in Indianapolis. I believe uh, uh, Gibbs was like, Seven oh two or he seven was one eight one. He was eight, eight one. one. So, but he did not win a game in day two. <laughs> yeah. Did not win a game in day two. I yeah, think it so, was one of those things that, like, I, I think Mike Gibbs is a super good player. Not someone who yeah, I think is definitely. on a lot of people's radar. I've watched him do really well at some of these full grip tournaments that I've been casting with Andrew the last few um, set releases. I think he's really good. I was keeping my eye on him throughout the day in indianapolis and he went into day two at eight and one with urshifu uh so yeah. obviously proving that good player playing a good the good deck is still going to do well but i think his day two 
rounds were just tough. At the very beginning, he hit um, a bunch of good players and back. Like the first three rounds, he hit just like other, you know, really, really good players. And even if Urshifu has 50 50s against a lot of stuff, you're going to lose 50 50s. That's how it works, right? Yep. So, uh, you know, he just, I think he lost to. Um, I think he played against Estrada at one point. I think he played against Riley, if I remember correctly. So yep, there was just the kind of a, a lot of stuff that didn't quite go his way. He, I don't think, ended up winning a set in day number two, unfortunately, which it feels really bad to start eight and one and then yeah, go. Yeah, feeling good. And then I think go oh four two or something like that in day two. Uh, but, you know, that happens in Pokemon, especially, you know, in day two, the, the field is a lot tougher than in day one, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think the deck, I mean, I think, you know, Tord placing second, of course, you know, not everyone can match the play of Tord. Uh, and that was, I think, the only person to do well with Urshifu throughout all three. That's Urshifu right. with that build, Urshifu with the dark build, throughout all three of the major events. I think it was the only one in top 16 in any of them, maybe even. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I don't think there was one in Indianapolis or... Yeah, I don't think so either. Bilbo. I do like, think... I th Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, th I think that in the couple games I played leading up to Indianapolis, the deck, like, I was beating the Hoop of Ease, and, like, there was close, but, like, it's not, like, uh, a bad matchup. And I, I think, like, if you... Like, the deck's good if you want to tech for it. If I was playing Arceus, if I if I was going to tech for it and I was playing Arceus with Dark, I would add Dunsparce and Hoopa. I wouldn't play the Manaphy, I don't think. But if I also... If I'm going to play Arceus at this event, I'm not going to tech for it. Personally, if I hit him, oh, well, I'll Marnie and pray. But I personally would not, I'm not going to be teching. I'll play the Dunsparce, but that's for not just for Urshifu. So I'm not going to, I personally would not tech for Urshifu. But I do think it will have a better showing uh, this weekend than it did the previous weekend. Uh, I think it's, I think specifically Tord is probably due for a, for a dub with the Urshifu, I think. Yeah, I actually think that. Urshifu is going to do really well this weekend. I think that it will be more played this weekend than it was in Indianapolis, and it will definitely do better than it did in Indianapolis. I think it was a few different factors that led to players not wanting to play it for that tournament weekend. You know, obviously, a lot of people are going to be countering it. There was going to be a lot of Dunsparces, a lot of Manaphys, and a lot of Hoopa Vs in the Arceus decks. And even if you can beat those things... It's not fun to play against that every single round of the tournament. And almost every Arceus Dark deck, I think every Arceus Dark deck, it feels like, had Hoopa V in it, which yeah. you can still beat the Hoopa V, but sometimes they just power it up in one turn and create it out of nowhere with the Raihan and energy switches or whatever it may be. And they one hit kill your Urshifu, and you're like, crap, what do I do? Uh, <laughs> it's because it, it, just one hit KOs your your main attacker out of nowhere seemingly so I think that it will do better this weekend because I think that people will cut their manaphies I think people may cut their hoopas I do think hoopa is still solid because it's kind of got that two-pronged utility where it's good against Urshifu and against Mew but I think that uh, Urshifu will definitely do pretty well and I also think that part of the reason that it didn't do as well as it did at EUIC is that the main American group of players that played it at EUIC did not play it in yeah. Indianapolis and I think that there's probably a few reasons for that one of them being that they I think this is just kind of something in general it seems like from top players is like they don't love to play the same deck in back-to-back -back events a lot of the times i mean i guess that's kind of a per player thing because some players 
do and like do find a deck that they really like in a yeah. format and just stick with it. But um, it does feel like that group is kind of feeling like I don't really want to play the same deck in back to back events. I want to evolve with the meta and kind of try to shift my deck choice to what I think did well and what I think will be brought by other players. So I actually wouldn't be surprised to see them or a lot of other good players come back with the Urshifu this coming weekend because Arceus is still really, really popular and probably just as a whole going to be the most popular deck. So if you feel like your matchup as the Urshifu player is good, probably a decent play. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I think that Urshifu was a decent play at Indianapolis as well. Like I said, I don't think Manaphy and Hoopa aren't stopping it. And like you said, Tord got second. I'm sure Tord tested against both of those things and was like, okay, it's like, all right, winnable. Runs it again, gets second, you know. Uh, seems like Whimsicott might be the, uh, besides with uh, when Gustavo runs up against it, Whimsicott might just be the uh, <laughs> the true, the true, uh, the true uh, <clears throat> downfall to Urshifu. But probably not going to be way less of that than there was in Indianapolis, I think, moving forwards. Had an abysmal showing uh, overall. Besides, I guess, the one, the, I mean, Alessandro did win uh, yeah. the special event. But besides that, had a really rough showing, I feel like, overall for like, how much was played and kind of how hyped the deck felt like it was going into the weekend. And I think it was more so just people learning the matchup as opposed yeah, to people had a game plan like, going into yeah. it, right? Because I'm sure against Frank, people were just like, I don't know what's going on. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank was right. like, all right, that's fine with me. <laughs> and um, I'm sure there's still some of that going on, but I, yeah, I, I feel like there's, yeah, a lot more people had game plans. So you need, you know, which is good to see. You need not just like a solid deck, like Wimscott's still a solid deck, but you need that good pilot behind it consistently you're not just going to be able to show up with Limsicott and fully cheese your way through uh through a tournament because i know a lot of people think it is a little bit a little bit che cheesy attack crushing hammers like it is a little bit cheesy but you need a solid pilot like frank or like alessandro to actually push it to those those solid finishes yeah so Wimsicott definitely did underperform a bit compared to how played it was specifically looking at indianapolis obviously like you said alessandro yeah. won the bilbo special event with it so let's just look at those two lists real quickly and talk about them. Alessandro played the one Shadow Rider Calyrex V, which I thought was a really interesting inclusion because it, with the Shadow Mist attack, can kind of get you an extra turn of energy disruption while you're trying to set up. But at the same time, it like takes away your energy attachment for the turn, which I don't know how I feel about that. Whereas on the other hand, Riley, who got top 16 with... Uh, Whimsicott in Indianapolis played the one Zashin V from Celebrations, whose ability allows you to attach a psychic energy from your deck to one of your Pokemon, but it ends your turn. So I thought that was a really good inclusion. And honestly, if I had to pick between one of those two V Pokemon techs, I feel like I would lean more towards the Zashin. I don't know. I know you tested with Riley and Andrew, who played that deck a little bit leading up to the event. Yeah. So... Was the Shadow Rider something you guys had considered, or was Zashin just the way to go from the start? Uh, no, we never even talked. I mean, I had thought about the Shadow Rider before, but, like, if they get it on the active on, like, you don't have to get it on the first turn, but, like, I think it's only really, really strong against Mew. Like, against Arceus, it's, like, okay. Yeah. But if you, but they still get the Trinity Charge. Like, if you're not removing the basic energy from them, and you're just being like, okay, you can't attach the special, they're just going, like, all right, I'll just, you did 10 damage. I will now Trinity Charge, and you have no threat of doing 140 next turn. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay then like i guess you could also stop them like if you get the crushing hammer heads you can stop the trinity charge because they can't play the dte but when you're only doing 10 damage and you're a turn slower i feel like it's not giving you that much momentum to work with whereas the zation i feel like gives you a lot of momentum to work with and even makes it so you don't have to rely on getting like that mid-game raihan 
uh, in the middle of the game or setting up like Alessandro played. Alessandro played the EXP share, yep. uh, which Riley didn't. You don't have to try and get that EXP share down to continue to chain your Whimsicots in the mid game. So I feel like the Zacian really uh, is a super solid uh, card in the deck. And in the list that we were testing out, um, we had, it had an Adventure's Discovery at some point because there's a Luminian in there. So like turn one, you can go like Luminian, Adventure's Discovery, Whimsicott, Whimsicott, Attach, Zacian, Zacian, the Energy. And you like fully set up uh, off, off an adventure's discovery on your first turn you can even get crowbat off at two depending on what the hand is and you have so many outs to your basic pokemon it really like synergizes really well but the yeah, i don't think riley ended up playing the adventure's discovery because a research can kind of do the exact same thing because sure. you have so many quick balls and fog so many crystals, ball but, search cards yeah the fog um, but i think the shadow rider is really really good against Mew because you can lock your path to the peak and play as well like you lock the path to the peak and play they can attach special energy and it gives you a ton of time to set up your whimsicots from there and then eventually get into them and i'm sure you could do some really cheesy plays with like choice belt shadow rider and maybe that's what alessandro had set up was like you put the choice belt on the shadow rider you pass to the beacon like you boss a genesect and hit and like you just hit it until it gets knocked out or something i don't know you could even get like really creative and like bring up one genesect and hit it four times bring up another one hit it four times and then actually use astral barrage because that's also an option in the deck with the basic psychic into a dte you can astral barrage so maybe alessandro was even getting uh you know getting cute with plays like that and you could even like lock you can put a DT on it, and then Sh uh, Shadow Miss is doing zero damage. So you could like lock something in the yeah, active and be yeah, like, yeah. "I'm not doing any damage. You have to figure out a way to move this thing. Good luck." Yeah, definitely plenty of things you can do. So last week, leading or two weeks ago, leading into Indianapolis, we talked about how if you were someone who was in a position where you had, you know, 50 points away from your world's invite after the 2020 season kind of ended. You're coming back now. You need 50 points. You just need to make day two to get your invite. We said Whimsicott was the deck to play. Do you still feel like that is the answer for this weekend if someone finds themselves in that spot? I definitely am a big fan of Riley's list. I think if I was to play Whimsicott, I would go that route. But I would feel less confident in saying it's the deck to play if you just need to get 50 points. I think it still might be. I mean, you could pick up any Arceus variant that you enjoy playing as yeah. well. And it doesn't really matter. You could just play one of them. Like it literally does not. Like even um, Ryan Antonucci was on the winning in against Ian Robb in round 14 with an uh, Arceus B-barrel list. He came in at 6-1, went 4-0. And then uh, the, the the effective winning in against Ian Robb, which I, I heard was a pretty close game. Like B-barrel's there up there too. Like you could pick any of these Arceus decks up and basically play them to reasonable success the only thing with that is you're gonna have to play against a lot of arceus mirrors which is like i, I that's why i would pick something like the beedrill because at least it makes things more exciting when you hit the arceus mirrors <laughs> if you just pick like a baby maltrace build you're just like it's just so boring to play the mirror match when you both have baby maltrace in there so or something like the ian rob build as well would be more fun but literally any of the arceus builds that you think is fun you'll probably do fine with but i think so ones are still the choice i think less people will be teching for it and trying to like build their list around it the arceus decks might go to a couple more special energy because i know a lot of lists leading into Naples were having like capture energy there they were like 2dt two capture and then basics after that so they were like leaning towards trying to get as much value out of those early turns not trying to have as clunky of early turns you know like like you said hunting for sobbles on that first turn you know the capture energy help a lot with that and we even saw one capture energy in uh bradner's list in yeah. that um they got second with there was one capture energy they're just trying to you know, that first turn, second turn, trying to really find your basic Pokemon as consistently as possible without hurting your more con your, your more consistent game plans throughout the rest of the uh So I think any Arceus build, to be honest, that you enjoy, you're, it's fine. <laughs> They're all fine. And then besides that, I think I still think Whimsicott's a pretty good, a pretty good uh pretty good deck to still pick up. Even though I said, like, you know, we've the, the best finishes we've from seen from it have been from, you know, top 
top players, uh, it doesn't mean it's still not just one of those decks that, you know, you just don't have to put as much time into it, to be honest. They'd be able to push towards, you know, uh, the higher level of play with the deck for sure still, I think. So I think it's still that deck for me. So let's talk about Mew VMAX a little bit, because, I mean, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, but there's a lot of different things that players can do right now with Mew. Uh, and we're actually going to talk about our first Twitter question, which comes from at the Vandalorian, who asks, which Mew V list is better, Mateus, Andrew, or Natalie's? So Mateus, who got top four at EUIC, was playing the Pumpkaboo, the Scoop Up Net, the Tool Jammer as kind of the standout tech cards in that list. Andrew Estrada, who got top four at Indianapolis, was playing Pokemon Catcher, two basic psychic energies, and two training courts. Or Natalie's list, which has kind of been the cookie-cutter Mew list, it feels like, throughout the entirety of this format with the Echoing Horn, the all-special-energy, stuff like that. Three different kind of ways to play the deck. Which is it one of these three? Is that one is one of these three the best way to move into this weekend? Or do you have to find a combination of the three to move forward with? I mean, I don't think there's really like a I don't think about it in terms like that. Like it's just kind of I guess there is like a little bit, but they're not that different. And they're trying no. to just like change it their lists up for different scenarios. I'd say the biggest difference is catcher or no catcher. Yes. And I think that could be argued as being optimal or not optimal. And because I don't think the meta is going to evolve too much from Indianapolis to New Jersey and then to Vancouver. They're probably one of those is probably just correct. Um and I, I like the catchers. I think it adds like a new level of aggression for the Mew deck. Cause like when you're so calculated in like your turn to turn game plans, being able to all of a sudden go Elsa Sparkle plus catcher, your opponent's going to sit there and be like, oh, well, I guess I lose now. I didn't have plan for this. You were supposed to use Elsa Sparkle <laughs> and then not be able to boss. But yeah. now because of my my calculated Clara play cannot happen and I guess I'm done. And like, so, so you have that new level of aggression that kind of throws off because Mew has been like for a while now. You, like that people build their lists around calculating out you know turn one turn two turn three turn four and i win the game against me vmax every time if i draw those cards in that order right but now you throw cat catchers involved and it, it does kind of shake things up. also catcher plus marnie combo is also like a really cool one so i think i, I mean i like the i like the catchers for sure is it correct i don't know the the scoop net punkaboo i don't not a big fan of that especially with like less path to the peak a path to the peak yes. comes back i think there's a good argument for the punkaboo though for sure there is definitely less path it feels like right now so it does still feel like mew is in a pretty good spot i will say if you are i think that the catchers i talked about this last week a little bit i think catchers kind of go hand in hand with playing less double turbo energy so if you're fitting in a couple basic psychic energies in order to get your attachments to your mew you're likely going to have to attach plus a less a sparkle and yeah. if you're doing that, that means you can't play boss's orders. So you need catcher for those instances, or at least to have the yeah. option to try to hit catcher for those instances. So I think if you're playing heavy basic psychic and like a one or two training courts, whatever it may be, you definitely want catchers. But if you're kind of leaning more into Natalie's list and just playing all special energies, I wouldn't worry about catchers. I would go more with the boss strategy because it's yeah. still a bit more consistent. And honestly, I wouldn't hate rolling up with just the all special energy Mew list this weekend. Like, Whimsicott's probably going to be way less popular than it was. It'll still be around for sure. And you're kind of accepting if you're not playing basic energies, you're going to take a loss in that matchup. It might be okay to do that, though, this weekend. I don't know. I think it's like one of those situations where you could definitely just play one. You know, maybe you still get lucky and beat the one if you pop off and have your Alessa Sparkle, you know, escape rope, whatever, turn one. 
So I don't know. That's that's just kind of how I, I would I would be okay potentially just rolling up with that type of list this weekend. Yeah, I mean I think the double basic energy if it's just there for Whimsicott, is very much overkill. I feel like it kind of lined up conveniently for Michael and Andrew and whoever else. I think Rowan maybe played the deck as well, played the list as well. Grant Shen. Uh, that, uh, yeah, Grant Shen as well. That, that you know, the bees just showed up. <laughs> I think it was convenient That's for true, them that yeah. bees Because if you go first and you're just like, all right, turn one basic energy. And I'm sure if they played against any of the, the B players and they were like, turn two second basic energy, they were just like, what is this, man? Who does that? Why are you playing two basic energy in your list? And then you just, you know, boss care with their Arceus and you can't even have the B response to it. So, um, I mean, yeah, it was like, convenient, I think, for them for that tournament specifically that they were playing the double basic psychic. I'm sure it was more so for Whimsicott than Beedrill unless they just had a read on the meta and they were like, bees coming through at indianapolis we got to pack those double basic psychics i'm sure it was more for whims um but if you're looking to just like help your whims matchup i think one is more than enough um but if you really are trying to get you know just dominate whimsicott and then also have that that cute line it doesn't just beat the bee arceus deck but it, it's like it makes it very hard for them to win if you're able to pull off back-to-back -back basic psychics so if you're looking for like a you know a decent tech in that matchup the double basic psychic psychic definitely uh Definitely is pretty good, but yeah, I think you do have to, you do want to kind of go the catcher route, right? Because you you want to be able to be aggressive with your gusts, and if you're playing less DTE, then uh, you know you're going to be using also sparkle to get your attacks off. Going to need the, going to maybe need those catchers, and I'm not definitely not a big fan of playing eight energy. The more cards you play that you can't play down within a turn in Mew, it gets it gets worse and worse and worse. You want to yep. be playing as few Pokemon and as few energy as possible. So I think seven energy. You don't really want to go more than seven energy. Yeah, having too many energy can definitely clunk your hand up too many basic pokemon as well there's you know just these cards that are unthinnable unplayable so yeah. one more deck that i had written down that i wanted us to talk about before we talk about any like other rogue potential decks out there uh was rapid strike malamar so we talked about this a little bit last week it's been a few weeks since malamar performed well there was a couple in top 16 in some of these tournaments but none in top eight Hasn't performed well, but I think it's obviously still powerful. Its popularity yep. definitely went down leading into last weekends of the past weekend of tournaments. But I feel like it's in a spot where we could see the popularity rise once again heading into this weekend uh, because there's less big charms on Arceus decks and there's a lot less Avery in decks in general, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's just getting better and better for it, but I think people are figuring out the cute plays you can do as Arceus decks in the matchup, which is making, it's like, even though they're cutting the Averys and the big charms, figuring out those plays. And I feel like so many people just didn't know to play for those plays or weren't playing for the plays. And that's where Malmar's like getting a lot of their wins. Like in, in the, in the build that you know, Bradner used, uh, you can KO a Malmar and an Inke in the same turn with Aqua Bullet with triple Zigzagoon ping. And I did that two or three times in my tournament run with the deck. Like, it's not hard to set up because Malamar is a deck that isn't pressuring your initial setup very hard. So you just need to find that like one good turn to play a research or a Marnie. And once you get enough, uh, enough drizzles online, you're doing the, you're doing the aqua bullet, triple goon ping, or just like quick shooting, quick shooting, goon ping, KO and NKKO the Malamar. Um, you just have to know those plays exist and they really aren't that hard to play for as the, the Arceus player. So outside of playing Avery and big charm, uh, and a lot of people are cutting the quick shooting though as well like as long as you know those plays exist it does that puts a lot of pressure on the malamar player and i think you almost have to keep manaphy in the deck as malamar not even for the urshifu matchup but for the arceus matchup to stop the aqua bullet from getting a double <laughs> knockout because yeah. you're, you're you're it's almost like you could bench a third nk but you're you, you have a bigger problem with them actually just drawing two prize cards on the turn so you need to stop the double prize draw 
Um, you could bench that third NK and they go knock on Malamar, knock on NK. You can still attack next turn, but it almost puts them too far ahead too consistently. So you need to go Malamar, NK, Manaphy to stop them from ever getting that double prize draw turn. So um, I think that's what's kind of hurting Malamar more than anything. And yeah, but besides that, it is looking, I guess, better overall because yeah, the Averys and the big charms are are going away. But then definitely put your escape ropes in. I think double escape rope is just the way to go. I think it just helps so much in the early game to make sure you're actually taking knockouts and putting the pressure on your opponent to not give them too much time to set up those big aqua bullet plays or the Mew doing all their psychic loop leap plays and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think the Guru is another interesting tech option. If you're playing a lot more non-Rapid Strike cards, it's, you know, obviously it is another non-Rapid Strike card, but <laughs> it can give you the option to dig one card deeper, potentially, which uh, sometimes just that one card difference really does make all the difference. It feels like when I'm playing... Uh, rapid strike malamar you know back when i was playing boss's orders in the list it's like i always open up with the boss's orders <laughs> you know that thing finds its way to my hand really quickly and it can never leave because i don't have quick balls i don't have research right um it's just always going to be yep. minus one off my cynthia's ambitions for the entire game so i like the potential that guru gives you for that obviously it does have downsides though the double rope i do think is very good but uh, any other rogue decks that we want to talk about? Anything else that you think has potential? We saw some other cool things on the stream in Indianapolis. We had the Arceus Charizard VMAX deck on. We had Arceus Malamar VMAX from Piper, who we actually saw her do well with that same deck in EUIC. So, you know, that's a proven archetype, I would say, even though it's not really popular. You know, she took it and did well at EUIC, made changes to her list, and got top 32 once again in Indianapolis. Um, and then we've got, you know, some other things out there. There was a lot of stuff in day one that was really cool. Like there was like an amazing Reshiram deck that was floating around there doing pretty well. I think did just miss day two, but that was really cool one to see from M Taylor. Uh, John Mostovi was playing it as well. I know, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Any other rogue things out there that you think could pop up and, you know, make a run in day two? Uh, I think Ice Rider is probably the, the oh, main yeah, yeah. one. So it's got a bad Mew matchup. Not a bad. You can beat it. It's one of those things where it's like you can beat it, but it's like just give me Arceus all day, right? Ice Rider, I feel like matches up really well into the Arceus decks. Um, so I could definitely see Ice Rider. I would be surprised if Ice Rider, if a couple Ice Riders didn't top eight between the three events, because I think there's just there's just so much Arceus. I mean, we talk we've been talking about like Arceus is getting more and more and more popular. Um, and Ice Rider's good up against Arceus. There was one in top eight. I uh, just checked. There was one in top eight of Joinville. We don't have the access to this. They were doing an Arceus Ice Rider. So I don't know the best way to play Ice Rider. If I had more time to invest, I think that would be a deck I would definitely be looking at, trying to nail down my Mew matchup to try and play that as well as possible. Um, and then, now you, you still know, got a few days. So... There's still time. You can, you can iron <laughs> it out. <laughs> and then you just clean it up. I feel like the Arceus matchup is so good for Ice Rider. Like, I don't know how I've, from the few games I've played against and as it, it's just like, I don't know how you win as Arceus consistently up against Ice Rider. Uh, maybe it's just the inconsistencies of the deck will catch up with it uh, throughout, you know, a nine-round tournament, 14-round tournament, whatever. But uh, it seems it seems pretty well-positioned with Arceus getting more and more popular. You also bop Whimsicott. And uh, I don't know, maybe with a Manaphy, you can beat Urshifu if you really want to beat Urshifu. But once again, like I said, I think Urshifu, like I agree with you, I think Urshifu will be, you know, as popular at least as it was at Indianapolis. I think it will have a way better showing overall besides Tor just getting second. But I'm personally not teching for it as of right now. I don't think I'm going to. Of course, if I'm playing Mew, I don't really have to. You kind of just play the matchup and hope they don't uh, draw too well off your Marnie. But um, if I was playing like Arceus, like, I don't think I'd tech for the 
for the Urshifu matchup. He's like, well, if I hit it, uh, that kind of sucks, but we'll see if the Marnie can catch him or not. But yeah, I, I, I tried her, I think, is my uh, my sleeper for sure going into going into this weekend. The, the Malmar VMAX is really cool. Yeah, Piper's been doing really well with that. It'd be cool to see more of that. It'd be cool to see a top eight out of Malmar VMAX, maybe Piper. But yeah, that's actually like just, uh, I feel like there's not quite, the deck almost is just like a little bit, it's not enough control cards to like yeah. help it out like you get that Marnie plus the attack, but that's like not enough against the Intellion decks consistently. To Next shut set them down. though, Roxanne, Dark Patch, baby. <laughs> be a good time to be a Malamar VMAX player. I don't know. That's we'll true. See. That's true. <laughs> that, it could get pretty. It could get pretty good then for sure. Because I thought you, you don't even need Arceus at that point, right? You should like turn two VMAX to KO the first I'm one. Saying, you Roxanne and and you're cruising from there. Yeah, we could definitely see it making waves in the. The, uh, the next format for sure. I, I'm super excited for the next set. I hope a lot of things come out of that set, and uh, hopefully not too many things get fully pushed out of the format. I wouldn't mind to see Mew leave, of course, but hopefully Arceus can stick around, maybe Urshifu. Well, I think that's going to cover all the decks leading into the next weekend of tournaments, of course, mainly New Jersey, but also Perth and Lil Regionals. We will take a couple more questions at the end here, but before we get to the last few questions, we've got everyone's favorite part of the podcast. Guess that flavor text, and it is Azul's turn to pick a card and read the little bit of flavor text in the bottom right corner, and then I have to guess what card azul has picked if i don't know what it is just off the bat i've got three different lifelines i can choose from i can either ask what set the card is from what stage the card is or have azul read an attack name from the card and if i do it without the lifelines i get four points three points two points one point so on and so forth right now we're tied at one point a piece this is our second episode with the lifelines <laughs> I think it was maybe a little helpful in the last one. I think I maybe went a little too hard with the with Skiddo. <laughs> I think I think maybe I overestimated Azul a little bit by giving him uh, giving him a Skiddo card. He probably didn't even know Skiddo was a Pokemon until after that episode. But all right, Azul, hit me with it. What do we got? Okay, flavor text. It lives in caves on the sea floor and creates giant whirlpools every time it moves. I feel like I know what this is. It's, it's got to be. <laughs> I thought you just about to I'm, say I'm it. Thinking, I was like, what? <laughs> well, I want to build up to what I'm thinking about a little bit. So like, <laughs> I'm thinking about the early Pokemon games that I played, uh, you know, Pokemon Gold and Silver when I was a kid, renting them from Blockbuster. Of course, the section of the game where you're trying to navigate through with Surf and then you get to these whirlpools that you got to pass through. And the Pokemon that you would always find in this area, I feel like, were uh, Tentacool, Tentacruel, Shelter, and Cloister. And you talked about this Pokemon hiding in caves, which I don't feel like is really adequate for Shelter or for uh, for Tentacool. lives in caves. Yeah, lives in caves. Lives in caves. Doesn't really feel adequate for Tentacruel or Tentacool, but definitely this sounds very Shelter esque to me. I guess. Big shelter vibes. Big shelter vibes. I don't know. <laughs> I could use a lifeline here, or I could just go for the big four points, potentially. Uh, all right. Um, I think I will use one of my lifelines, at least for now, and see if it narrows it down a little bit for me. Can you, all right, one more time. Just read the flavor text one more time real quick. 
It lives in caves on the sea floor and creates giant whirlpools every time it moves. Every time it moves. Man, it also could be like Lugia or something like that. All right, let me uh, let me ask what set the card is from. Plasma Freeze. So that eliminates Lugia because there is a Lugia in Plasma Freeze, but it's a Lugia EX, which does not have flavor text. How do you know that? See, this is why this one does nothing for me. <laughs> but what? it's very helpful for <laughs> me and that? probably for many of the listeners as well. I do believe that there is a, a shelter and cloister line in Plasma Freeze. I am pretty sure there's a shelter and cloister in Plasma Freeze. I guess because it, I feel like it could be either of them. I'll ask what stage the card is and use one more lifeline. Stage two. All right. Well, I was wrong. Uh, it is not Shelter or Cloister. What water type in Plasma Free? I guess I don't know that it's a water type, but it probably is a water type. It hides on the seafloor, right? So, um, well, all my certainties have now gone out the window. I guess I probably should use my last lifeline because I don't know anymore. Tell me, read read an attack name for me, Azul. Try bullet. Try bullet. Oh, I feel mm -hmm. like that should be a giveaway, but I just can't think of it right now. Try bullet. Hmm. Oh man. <laughs> Gen five water type. Shoot, man. Lives on the sea floor. And see, this no, lives is in the caves. Okay, but. But it's in case on the seafloor. Yeah, on the seafloor. Yeah. Don't yeah, try to confuse me now, bro. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a fossil Pokemon. What are the fossil Pokemon in Gen 5? I don't think it's a fossil Pokemon. Maybe it is a fossil Pokemon. Is it? Oh, is it? Um, No, the Caracosta is a stage one from Gen 5 cards. It's a stage one. It's not a stage two. All right. I need to guess. I'm sorry. I just don't know. I was so confident with Shelter, bro. Um, man. All right, Chip, what you got? Oh, bro. <laughs> I, the, I'm trying to think to the set. I feel like there's like a Seismitoad in, in Plasma Freeze. I don't think that's it, but I think that's what I got to go with. Is it, is it Seismitoad, Azul? It is not Seismitoad, Chip. It is Kingdra. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know what attack name to use because I was like, the other one was Dragon Vortex. I was like, I don't know if I should say Dragon Vortex. Oh. That's used. <laughs> so I said Tribal. I should have known that. That's bad. That was a free <laughs> dub right there. All right. We remain tied at one and one. We'll see if I can... Uh, Gain a lead in next week's um, guess that flavor text. Dang it, man. It's a dragon type card, not a <laughs> water is, type yes. card, but it is a water type. Oh, we got up. a couple more questions from uh, the Twitter to answer. Um, first one coming from. Pysac one does Arceus need a form of energy acceleration to attack turn two. If it whiffs the energy attachment, turn one Maltrace e switch. 
uh, Melanie, so on and so forth. Uh, Chip, you rocking anything? You are you are you always looking to rock something like that if you're playing Arceus? I mean, I think having those plays available is nice. It depends on the version of the deck you're playing. I think if you're playing Arceus B Drill, I wouldn't really worry about it as much because your way to attack on turn two, if you whiff a turn one attachment, is through the B Drill. Uh, yeah. A lot of the time, and then if your Beedrill gets knocked out, then your Raihan is activated to go into your Arceus. Yeah. Um, so I would still, I would always play Raihan, I feel like. I think most Arceus decks should play one Raihan because it can just create so many different plays for you, especially alongside Intellion. You can easily yeah, find it. Yes, yes, and yeah, Aqua Bullet obviously very strong as well. So I think I'm always playing one Raihan. If I'm playing Beedrill, I'm not worried about an additional form of acceleration um though i think if you're playing the ian rob version of the deck you know e switch is really good in that deck not just for the turn to attack with arceus but in order to create a hoopa a lot easier out of nowhere in order to create you know a zapdos out of nowhere if your opponent only has like two pokemon v in play so i think it's worth playing energy switch in your arceus deck but not just be for the reason of whiffing the turn to attack. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. And maybe that's why we see, I mean, like, theoretically the most consistent build of Arceus, and we see Pablo consistently doing well with it, is just the straightforward water build with the melee. That does add a lot to your turn ones, right? It's just nice to have, or your turn two, right? It's just nice to have that around some way to make sure you're attacking turn two with Arceus, right? Like, you just want to attack turn two with Arceus if you go first. You don't want to lose that advantage that you had um and i think maybe that's why we see the b barrel build generally struggling more is because those games where you whiff the turn one attachment going first you know that's bad and especially when you're in the mirror match or up against Mew, whatever it might be if you have to rely on raihan on the following turn you have way less going on for you on that you're not playing a research or a marnie or a boss mm -hmm. or anything like that right so maybe that's why the b barrel build more consistently comes up a little bit short is because all those games where you whiff the turn one attachment you don't have a follow-up and for the b build specifically i think it's a little bit less punishing because you can just go oh i whiffed okay they knocked something out okay beedrill one hit ko into raihan set up your next arceus to attack with and go from there so i think it's a little bit less punishing in the beedrill build specifically but all the other builds i mean everyone everyone who's played arceus knows that it sucks when you whiff that turn one energy attachment so having some way to kind of you know recoup and like get back into that turn to attack even if you're not using a boss on that turn maybe and you have to go with something else you know it still feels really good so i think you want to be but uh like i said yeah the b barrel builds and stuff like that can't really can't really afford to put it in there and then when you're when you're like rocking a dark build with like one water energy getting the melanie in there as well like you gotta find a water you gotta discard the yeah. water you could prize your water like you could prize your melanie like it just becomes a little bit harder to want to include like one melanie when you only play if, one if you're water. playing a lot of water energy i definitely think you're playing melanie in the deck yeah. just because it's good in general but i i feel like that is kind of the version that's almost like an out of date version of arceus it feels like i feel yeah. like if you're just playing arceus and Tellium with water energies you should probably just be playing dark <laughs> and like throwing some <laughs> Galarian Moltres stuff in there. It feels like, yeah, even when I like looked at Pablo's list that he got top eight with at Indianapolis, it felt like there wasn't that much in there. It yeah. felt like, wait, there's like, there's like, you're, you're not playing any of the dark stuff. It's obviously still any good. The, yeah. But it's like, is there not just a better option out there? Yeah. Like you, you're, I guess the biggest advantage you have, but it doesn't even seem like that because I've seen dark builds with two Charon's Care. It's like Pablo's running, you know, the two Charon's Care. Like that yeah. list always plays two Charon's Care in the Palpad. 
But I, you, then you look at like Ian Robs list, and Ian Rob is like, I think even Robbie even tweeted, is like, just take prize cards. Why are you using Sharon's care? <laughs> just go boss something. Take knockouts. And I, yeah. yeah, and I think that's fair. A fair a way to kind of analyze the matchup of the Arceus Mirrors is just like, your goal is to take one prize card per knockout. And if you get fortunate enough to get two prize cards on a KO, you even get that much further ahead. But your goal is at the very least to take one prize card per knockout. So when you hit their Arceus and they Charon's Carrot, you're like, well, now I have to respond with Charon's Carrot. But if you just boss KO a Drizzile or a Sobble, then you're like, okay, I went one attack, one knockout. And you just repeat that process, draw six prize cards over six attacks, and you've won the game, right? So, and then whenever you can slip in those when it KOs on the Arceus Vs, or the Zapdos comes in and KOs a V-Star, you know, that's where you can kind of get your advantage. Instead of trying to prolong the game and get into those weird loop situations that no one likes to play and get a bunch of ties, you know, just start taking KOs and then hope you draw six before, get six prize cards before your opponent. Next question comes from at Jared underscore Paxton, who asks, for those heading to their first regionals, is it worth setting a goal or better to just experience the event for what it is and see how you go. And I think that setting goals is great, for sure. But I think it's fine to set the goal of just experience the event. Like, my goal is to have... <laughs> my goal is... <laughs> Bro, what? Well, Azul has his he head on the table right now, laughing. Well, it's like... It Paxson's question was, is it worth setting a goal or better to experience the event and see how it is and see how you... See but how that I, is setting a goal. I, I mean, I guess I, I mean, I, I, and I kind of agree with you. I guess I just don't ever think in terms like my mind does not work that way in terms of, I mean, my goal when I show up to an event is always to win the event, but it's not like if I don't, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't win the event. Are you kidding me? It's like if someone set their goal to, you know, make day two um, and then they don't make day two, there's, I, I feel like just setting a goal in general should never be a priority if your goal in general is to just get better at the game, your goal should just be to show up to the event and experience the event and have fun and just play your best. And then when you win or you day two or you go Oh three, as long as you felt like you played your best, that's all you could have done anyways. And I think there's just kind of like a, I mean, the goal thing is just kind of, I guess I, I have personally, personally like a disconnect from that. I just don't understand the, the point and it doesn't make sense to me in my brain of like the point of setting a goal. Like you should just show up and try and play as best as you can. And then, you know, from there, go on. Because there is so much RNG in the game sometimes, you know, even if, you know, you feel like you should be making day two or this or that or whatever, placing in a top eight, like sometimes you just won't. Uh, sometimes you will. But as long as you're improving and getting better, that's you'll eventually get there. Yeah, definitely a good point. I, I do think goal setting just in life in general is, you know, good practice to go about. But you know what you're saying, I mean, definitely makes sense. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's coming from the mind of someone who's a bit more competitive about it versus someone who is just looking to enjoy the game, have a good time or yeah. like play play on a more casual level, you know. I think, like, your goal, obviously, you know, win regionals, win internationals, eventually win worlds, right? Someone yeah. else might just be like, you know, I want to make top eight at some point. I want to make day two at some point. And, like, you know, that way I have this, you know, because I'm not going to worry as much about, you know, trying to get my worlds invite. Or I'm not trying to become a world champion necessarily. I just, you know, want to qualify for worlds. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that is, like, with that kind of mindset, I guess it's a little bit different because then it's like, you know, you just have to keep showing up to events. But it's like... It's just so hard to like, I mean, you just never know if it's, you're just going to dead draw a couple games in a row, you know, or something like that. And that can just happen to anyone where it's like, you know, if I made my goal to put out a YouTube video every day in a week, that's like something I can like do. Right. But I can't be like, I'm going to show up to New Jersey. I'm going to go undefeated day one. 
I'm gonna go 9-0 and not drop a game, right? Like that's not you have less control I can, like, just, over it. Yeah, there's there's so much less control over it all. Like your goal in the game should always be to just be like put like and, and I guess the biggest thing could always be down to make your preparation better for each event, right? Just like that would be the biggest thing. And then when you show up to try and play your best. Um, but then it, I think it always comes back to your preparation for the event. It should be the thing that you know, you mainly look at to improve and be like, as long as I feel like I prepared better for each event and started playing better in each event after that, that is, you've achieved your goal. And that was your goal is just to keep feeling like you're improving at the game and don't kind of tie, you know, placements and stuff to it too much. And eventually you will get there. If that, if that truly is something you want to do is become one of the best players in the world, you'll eventually get there. You just have to keep, you know, improving at the game. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for the support as always. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review, a rating on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. It really does help us out so much. It helps more people discover the podcast. It only takes a few seconds. Just whatever rating you feel is fitting, please feel free to, to leave that. It really does help us out so, so much. And also be sure to follow the podcast on our social medias you can check out the youtube channel if you're watching this on youtube please be sure to leave a like and subscribe to the youtube channel so you don't ever miss an episode and you also can follow us over on twitter at uncommon underscore energy and you can also follow myself and azul on our personal twitters at azul underscore gg or at trainer chip yep sounds good thanks for watching everybody uh, i know it's a little bit tired and rambly in this one again just like last week <laughs> hopefully i have a little bit better uh or a little bit i get been getting some good sleep i just been been tired but anyways see you guys next week 7 a.m eastern on the tuesdays peace peace